0: You're listening to an audiobook presentation of The Grendel's Shadow by Andrew Main. You can purchase it for $0.99 cents on Amazon, on their Kindle store, on your Kindle, or on all major phones using the Kindle app, including iPhones, Androids, Blackberries, and Windows 7. It's also available on the Nook Store and Apple's iBooks. Or you can buy this entire audio presentation uninterrupted or a physical copy at andrewmain.com slash books. Chapter 17 The ridge was a series of rocky slopes that stuck out from the ground like an uneven fissure. Rubble and large sheets of broken rock formed on the beach between the outcropping and the forest. It went on for several miles, sloping gradually upward. Westwood pulled out his field glasses and scanned the ridge. He stopped at a rock slide. What's that? He handed his field glasses to Carpenter. That looks recent. It looks like where the prospecting was going on. "'The one with the band Explosive?' asked Alan. "'Yeah, wow. It looks like they took down the whole side of the mountain,' she replied. "'That would be way number one,' said Westwood. "'What's that?' she asked. "'There are three ways to grade the problem that you have here. "'The first one is to severely disrupt an animal's habitat. "'Taking down a mountain around it will do that. "'But we've had people here for over a hundred years "'and never saw hide nor hair of this creature.' Had it it always been there? It could be. This thing didn't want to be seen, then I imagine it could stay out of your way. There's no reason they can't be migratory like us. You just used to live downland, right? You outgrew that. Maybe it outgrew where I was, too, when you met in the middle. And then we blew up its home. Or at least made yourselves annoying neighbors. Westwood took back the field glasses. I have a couple spots I want us to check out. Everybody make sure you're locked and loaded. They walked on foot over to a large overhang with a deep shadow below it. Their mounts trotted along behind them, curious to see what they were looking at. As they got closer, they could see the overhang sheltering a cave as tall as a man and three times as wide. Westwood knelt down and looked at the ground. Look around and let me know if you see anything that looks like blood or part of an animal. Carpenter and Alan searched the ground around them, dusty, filled with rocks and the occasional weed. There was nothing to see. Westwood walked over to his mount and grabbed a grenade, then headed toward the mouth of the cave. He looked over to Alan. Light a couple torches and hand them to me, then stay clear. You gonna throw that in there? Alan asked, pointing to the grenade. Only if I have to. Alan handed him the lit torch and two unlit ones. He walked back to where Carpenter was holding onto the reins of their mounts so they wouldn't run away if Westwood used the grenade. As he squatted down behind the rock with the rifle Westwood insisted he carry, he realized that although he'd seen lots of action and even watched people die in front of him, this was the first time he was really part of something. It wasn't just an embed, he was a soldier in Westwood's crusade. He wasn't sure when he crossed the line from covering the story to active participant. Westwood put the grenade in a sidebag and stepped under the overhang. He entered the cave, holding the torch off to the side so it wouldn't affect his vision in the dark. He stayed close to the sides as much as possible, which was made difficult by the tilt of the roof. In his other hand, he held his rifle pointed into the dark. He hurled the torch into the cavern, then pressed his back flat against the side. The torch hit the roof and fell onto the floor. He could see all the way to the back of the shallow space from where he was standing. It was empty. He picked up the torch and exited. That's one down. Let's keep going. They walked a half mile further up and came to another overhang with deep shadows below it. Same as before. Look for blood or anything else unusual and get the torches ready. Over here, said Carpenter. Westwood walked over to where she was pointing. There was a worn path through the rubble and weeds leading from the bush and up to the cave. Path looks kind of small, she said. Yeah, but it's worth checking. Caves change owners like apartments. Alan lit up his torches again and handed them to Westwood. He then took up a position next to Carpenter, behind a dried out trunk vine. He leaned against the rock and pointed his rifle at the mouth of the cave. Looking down the site, Alan wished he'd had some time to practice actually firing the thing. His only instruction had been to flip off the safety and how to reload. Made sure to avoid pointing at Westwood. His plan was to rely on Carpenter's marksmanship to keep them safe. Westwood approached the mouth of the cave a little more warily than the last one. It was clear that something was living in there. The trail looked too small to be their animal. It could possibly be left by its kin. Near the mouth, he could feel a slight temperature drop. The cave was deeper by the last one by a margin. He passed one torch from his left hand and threw it into the cave. The flame sent a ring of light along the walls until it came to a rest. He waited. After a minute, he placed one foot into the cave and crouched down. The torch was still lit and cast a glow on the floor, ceiling, and side walls. In back was more darkness. The cave went further back still. Throwing a grenade would be pointless if it went on for a hundred yards. Wasteful, too. He might need it later. He had to step further into the cave. Keeping tight with the walls, he pressed onward. He held the remaining torches away from his body. His eyes searched the cavern for any motion. Halfway between the entrance and the torch on the floor, he paused to see if he could pick up any kind of scent. His nose was flooded with a variety of smells. None of them stood out. There was the smell of decay, moisture, and the dry smell of what passed for urine on this planet. He smelled another scent. Something else was living in this cave. Still bracing against the wall, he slowly moved further on. Sliding against the wall, his fingers felt something at a place. Not wanting to take his eyes off the deepest part of the cave, he let his rifle hang at his side while his fingertips explored the surface behind him. He could feel the smooth bore of a drill hole into the wall. This must have been one of the places they prospected, he deducted, he made a mental note, and pressed on. As he got closer to the torch, he could see further into the cave, but couldn't see to the back. He grabbed the second torch and hurled it ten yards further. It slid across the rock and clattered against something, started a small fire. Something let out a shriek and leaped out of the darkness. Chapter 18 When Westwood faded into the darkness as he entered the cave, both Alan and Carpenter tensed up. Alan was frustrated because he didn't know where to aim his rifle. Shooting blindly into the cave, he was just as likely to hit Westwood as anything else. Carpenter kept her sight trained near the front. The most she could hope was to try and shoot anything that chased after him. She first thought the grenades were for throwing into the caves before they went in. She liked that plan. She understood the impracticality of it now, however. But she didn't like Westwood plans any better, whatever it was. As Westwood faded out of view, she cast a look at the tree line. He'd cautioned her to be mindful of anything watching them while they were watching him. Nothing seemed out of order. She looked over at her mounts. Although they'd been trained to stay calm as a brushwood could physically stay, they'd been agitated if they sensed a threat nearby, she hoped. When she heard Westwood's rifle go off, she jerked upright. Both she and Alan popped out of their hiding position and stood there looking down the rifle barrels at the dark cave. She expected to see either Westwood or whatever he shot come running out. Alan gave her an expectant glance. She held his elbow back. He wanted to take a closer look. Hold on, she said. Give him another minute. Unknowingly, she had started walking slowly toward the entrance of the cave. Alan followed. They both kept their rifles aimed at the center. A few yards further in, they could see the glow of the first torch as it flickered on the ground. Carpenter pushed Alan to one side of the mouth while she took the other side. Westwood! Are you all right? she called out. Nobody shoot! It's all right! he shouted back. Alan and Carpenter stepped further into the cave and could see Westwood kneeling over the body of something. When they got closer, they could clearly make out the shape of what Westwood had shot. The size of a medium dog with two large tusks looked like he had dropped it mid-leap with one shot. What's that? asked Alan. It's a Vorlack, a kind of scavenger, replied Westwood. We'd get these on the farm all the time, always digging into garbage, said Carpenter. She looked to the back of the cave. My... Westwood turned to look at what she was reacting to. He brought the remaining torch over to it and looked. "'Is that?' started Alan as he saw the jagged bone. A human foot and part of the leg. Westwood nudged the bones with his feet. Most of the flesh had been stripped away. What remained was held together by bits of dried sinew. "'That looks a couple of weeks old,' offered Carpenter." Westwood looked around the floor of the cave and spotted other bones and pointed them out. Is this its den? asked Alan. He nervously looked over his shoulder, expecting the sunlight to be blocked out at any moment by the front of the cave as the creature returned home. No, said Westwood. Forty bodies would leave a lot more bones. He tapped the Vorlax body with his foot. This is just an opportunist picking up on table scraps, he turned to Alan and Carpenter. But it means we're close. Westwood did a quick search of the cave for more bones and made a note in his journal. Maybe parts of two or three bodies here. He knelt down and picked up a small bone. A femur, he paused. Probably a child between seven and ten. That could be one of the Rashi's daughters, or the McConnell's boy. I used to give them their shots, or things, said Carpenter. Tears welled up in Carpenter's eyes, but she kept her composure Westwood noticed her rifle didn't waver an inch, placed a hand on her shoulder, then walked toward the mouth of the cave. We'll mark this on the map so the bones can be retrieved later. We're running out of daylight. Carpenter gave the bones a final look, then followed Alan out of the cave. Outside, the sun was reaching low on the horizon. Westwood checked his pocket watch. We better hurry. They followed him as they briskly marched to the next cave, their mounts obediently following after them. Chapter 19 They found two more shallow caves. Westwood gave them a quick inspection just to be sure, then moved on. A mile further up, they came upon a crevice partially covered by a rock slide. Westwood motioned for Allen and Carpenter to hold back with their mounts as he inspected the rubble. The opening in the crevice formed an arch that had collapsed. A pile of large stones covered half the opening. More rocks were scattered around in haphazard fashion. It didn't look like they fell there naturally. Westwood knelt down to look at one of the boulders. It came almost past his knee. On one side, there were two long gouges. Pushed his thumb into them. They looked like the same scratch marks on the trunk at the back of the Stevens place. The rock must have been thrown there by an animal. He looked at the collapsed entrance and the other scattered rocks. More scratch marks. The creature had pulled apart the rubble trying to get at something in the cave. From the looks of the gap, it looked like it got what it was looking for. Westwood walked back to Carpenter and Alan and spoke in a low voice. Our animal dug into there. What for? asked Carpenter. Maybe to get at its offspring? Maybe to get our missing search party members? Westwood walked over to Lionheart and unpacked the cannon and began to assemble it while keeping an eye on the cave's entrance. With Carpenter's help, he fit the cannon between two rocks and used a third to keep it in place. He pulled out a cannonball the size of his fist from a saddlebag and loaded it on top of a paper sack filled with the charge. I'm going to aim this for the cave entrance, Carpenter. If anything moves, light the fuse. But wait for my signal, he paused. Or my screams. Not reacting to his dry humor, she asked, What are you going to do? I'm going to take a closer look. He unslung his rifle and held it in his right hand. He grabbed a grenade with his left hand and walked 50 yards to the side of the entrance. He wouldn't be approaching straight on. As he got closer to the entrance, he could see signs of where the creature had been digging. Some of the boulders easily weighed more than a thousand pounds. Claw marks gouged them like they were made of wax. Near the mouth of the cave, there was a pile of dirt and rock it had kicked up, just trying to get inside. Ten yards from the entrance, he could see what looked like caked blood on some of the rocks. He moved in closer, stepping lightly. He tried to smell for anything that could tell him what may lie inside. Five yards from where the rubble had been pulled away, he spotted what looked like part of a jacket or trousers covered in blood under a rock. He looked back to check on Alan and Carpenter, and then moved in further. He could feel the cool air from the mouth of the cave. He held his breath and listened. All he could hear was the sound of the forest and the seashell sound of the wind drifting past the cave opening. He thumbed the rim of his grenade then gauged the distance between the rubble and the wall. If they had the size of the creature estimated right, it could have reached inside here, but probably not have fit its whole body. Probably. What about its child? It could be inside there, waiting. That didn't make any sense, the creature wanted to open the whole side of a cave it could have. Stopped for a reason. Trying to kill something inside and stopped when it killed it. Westwood passed his back against the wall and edged in closer to get a look at what was under the rock. He squatted down low and approached the opening on his belly. Inching his way forward, holding the rifle in front of him, he got closer to the bloody rock. He pushed out his rifle and used it as a probe. Carefully. Carefully. He pried part of what was under the rock out. It was the lower half of a man's body. Westwood pulled himself nearer to get a closer look. he could see where the spine had been snapped apart. The man's dungarees were caked in blood. He tried to pull it free, but the other leg was pinned under a much larger rock. Westwood stood up and walked closer to the cave. It went about five more feet in, then ended in a rock slide. He climbed on top of the rocks and looked around. Toward the back of the cave, where the pile met the wall, he saw more blood-stained rocks. Confident this wasn't the creature's lair, he stepped inside. Blood smeared the side of the walls and claw marks left bloody gouges. A torn satchel was in the corner. He reached down and picked it up. Inside he found a canteen, some rounds, and a plastic box with several putty-like spheres in it. Further down he found timed blasting caps. He carried the satchel out of the cave and gave Alan and Carpenter the all-clear. Carpenter carefully tilted the cannon up and followed Alan over to Westwood. Looks like we found the other members of the search party. I reckon one of them is Patrick Smythe. What happened? asked Alan. Westwood handed him the satchel. I think they may have set out to kill it with this, but things didn't turn out the way they planned. They either tried to use the charges to kill it or bring down part of the cave to seal themselves in. They probably died in the fall Carpenter looked at the charges. I heard a rumor that Patrick was mixed up with the folks who were illegally mining, but his father pulled some strings and he wasn't charged. That explained the animosity toward his dad, said Alan. Westwood had a thought. Was there anyone mixed up in that that hasn't been seen around here? A couple of them went further south after word got out. There was a rumor that a dozen men from further out had been brought in to do the digging. I remember when some real shady folks came through Grassy Bend a couple months ago, right before all this happened. I don't think they ever came back through, though. Treated a couple people for some burns and broken bones, not long after, but only about a half a dozen. Westwood pulled out his field glasses and looked further up the ridge to where there was a larger exposed ridge. That'd be number two and three on the list of things not to do. The explosion probably disturbed the nest, maybe even killed one of the offspring. That's number two. Westwood pointed his rifle at the remains under the rock. Number three is leaving your dead behind so the local wildlife can get a taste for it. The first moon was starting to shine brightly as the sun touched the horizon. Westwood pointed to a cave opening further up the ridge. Let's head there. I got a good or bad feeling about this one, depending on how you look at it. Grendel Shadow is available on Amazon for $0.99. Buy it on your desktop or your Kindle. You can also use the Kindle app. Available on the iPad as well as all major phones, including iPhones, Blackberries, Windows 7, and Android. You can also look for it on the Nook Store and Apple's iBooks. If you'd like to purchase this audiobook in its entirety without interruption, or a physical copy of Grendel's Shadow, head to andrewmain.com books. This presentation has been read by Justin Robert Young.